Coming up on the Hockey News pregame show, it's All-Star Weekend in Toronto. We've got all the skills competition roundup for you. Trade season's here already with Elias Lindholm and Sean Monaghan already off the board. And the NHL intends to go to not one, but the next two Olympics. All that coverage and more. I'm Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trikos, and this is the Hockey News pregame show, brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. Michael Trico's with me as always is Ryan Kennedy. And Ryan, it's All-Star Weekend in Toronto. Indeed. And it's not just All-Star Weekend. It's also trade weekend, I guess. It feels like it. Yeah, it's early trade deadline season. Well, let's get started. Uh, the big trade, the big news was uh, it happened uh, before the All-Star Skills Competition. Um, Calgary sending Elias Lindholm to the Vancouver Canucks. This is one that we kind of all expected. Um, another Swede goes over to Vancouver, uh, another center. Um, I love this move for the Vancouver Canucks, even before we talk about how costly it was mm -hmm. for the Canucks to get Lindholm. But, you know, in Lindholm, you're getting another top six forward, uh, a guy that can take some pressure off Elias Patterson, um, one of the better two-way centers in the NHL. What did you make of this? Yeah, a great fit for Vancouver, and actually, you know, speaking of All-Star Weekend, Rick Tockett, the coach of the Canucks, is here as well as one of the All-Star coaches. Lindholm is here as well. <laughs> Lindholm was here. He was going to be here for Calgary. Now he's here for Vancouver. Yeah. But Tockett, uh, you know, we asked him about the acquisition, and he was saying it gives them so much flexibility in that top six because, you know, he, he doesn't know what they're going to do yet, but... You could go Lindholm and Pedersen on the same line, yep. and they could trade off face-offs. They could have their stronger sides depending on which side of the dot you're on. We've seen a couple of uh, teams do that over the years now where, you know, you might have two centers on a line. and I mean, face-offs are so important for Sam Reinhardt now. does that with uh, Barkov at times. Well, there you go. Yep. And I know Toronto did that. I think it was Matthews and Nylander back in the day when they were younger. Yep. So, you know, and they, of course, Vancouver's JT Miller as well. So they have a really good sort of nexus of top six centers. They have more than you technically need, but that's a great problem to have because Tockett was also saying, when you have the center coming down low, you know, when you're trying to break the puck out, having two centers is better than having one center. And, and you know, sometimes it's going to have to be a winger going back for the puck. Mm -hmm. Much better to have a center doing it because they're more acclimated to it. So having two natural centers on one line, just in terms of defense and transition to offense is an advantage as well. So just even strategically, this is great for the Canucks on top of the fact that, as you mentioned, Lindholm is a fantastic two-way player in his own right. Yeah, you know, I talked to Lindholm on uh, Thursday uh, after the trade obviously happened, and I talked to Pedersen, and both of them are just ecstatic. Like from Pedersen's standpoint, he said this is just an amazing show of faith from management. Um, you know, nice reward for Vancouver players. Right. You know, you're leading the division, um, despite what the underlying numbers might suggest. And, you know, you didn't wait to the trade deadline to get this guy. You didn't wait to kind of you're starting to slump and maybe Edmonton has passed uh, Vancouver in the standings. You're getting a Lynn home right when Canucks are cooking, so to speak. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that it's almost a trend we've seen in recent years where, if you're going to make a big splash and you're going to 
toss out some very nice assets that we'll talk about in a second, mm-hmm. you want to get as much runway with that player as possible because he's going to have to learn your system, your totally. structure. He's going to have to develop chemistry with your top players. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe Lindholm and Miller work better together in the end. It's, it's good to figure that out now versus a few weeks from now. Yeah, so the longer the, the better. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, another big, oh, let's talk about the, the return. The, yeah, the pieces that had yeah. to go the other way. And wh- whether you think, you know, did Calgary really make out well, well with that? I think Calgary did very well. You get a first round pick, which is obviously the gold standard of any, you know, deadline or pre-deadline trade. Um, you know, Kuzmenko is kind of interesting because we've seen him be a very good goal scorer. Yeah. And I think Calgary could certainly use that. Now, is he going to play any defense for you? Probably not. <laughs> um, and, you know, you look at that Calgary lineup now with Lindholm subtracted, it's like how many top-end forwards can actually play defense in Calgary? You know, Nazem Kadri's a great two-way guy. Kadri for sure. Yeah, but Huberto, they, maybe not. Yeah, they might have too many guys that are... Mangiapane. Yeah, you know, they've got offense for sure, but Definitely. do they have two-way? It's hard to say. Now, at the moment, they still have great defense. But who knows what will happen in the future at the deadline with Calgary because we know a lot of teams are interested in Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin, guys like that. Um, obviously, the big name, Hunter Bristavich, for me at least, mm-hmm. he's been one of the top scorers in the OHL this year, and he's a defenseman. So it's not that he's leading defenseman in scoring. It's that he's up at the top with everybody. And, you know, this is a player whose his defense has come along. Uh, he's a pretty sturdy kid. So uh, a very interesting option as an offensive defenseman that is you know, not lost in his own zone. And then Yoni Yermo, another prospect, towering guy at six foot five. Uh, so yeah, I think Calgary and Craig Conroy, nice little deal for them. Yeah, it's always tough when you're trading within the division, but to get a guy like Bristavich, um, personally, I would have loved to have seen him uh, on a power play with Quinn Hughes. Uh, yeah. But now he's going to probably be quarterbacking a future power play in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, Another Canadian team that made a huge splash, or maybe we'll, we'll determine if it was a huge splash. Sure. Um, Winnipeg Jets getting Sean Monaghan from the Montreal Canadiens. And off the start, um, Montreal had to um, take on Monaghan. They got a first-round pick when they actually took on Monaghan. Now you trade Monaghan, they get another first-round pick. Right. That is the definition of um, asset management. Management, sorry, I can't even like pronounce it because I'm right. just flabbergasted at, at how well <laughs> the Canadians did here. Yeah, and I mean, Sean Monaghan went healthy, was a very effective player for the Habs. So, yeah, yeah win all around for Montreal in that respect. Uh, but from Winnipeg's perspective, you know, again, a team that needed to be rewarded yeah. by their GM, right? Because the Jets have been so good this year. And they've had some injury problems, you know, Mark Shifley obviously being a prominent one. And, you know, you look at their depth chart before this trade, and they had Nemesnikov at number one, which is not, like, ideal. And, and obviously that's not the plan. When Shifley comes back, he's the number one. Sure. But now you have a guy in Sean Monahan who can really be one of those middle six centers and give you that great depth where, you know, you pr- I'd prefer to see an Adam Lowry on like a fourth line. Yeah, yeah. You know, and totally. you know they've got a, a guy like Gabe Velarde, uh, who you know, if you go Shifley, Velarde, and then Monahan, Lowry. I mean, that's a pretty like nasty crew in a playoff series. You got a lot of skill, a lot of size there. Guys with uh, you know different versatility. 
So for the Jets, it's like, yeah, okay, a first rounder, that's pretty heavy. And there is a conditional pick that Montreal will get in like 2027 if the Jets win the Stanley Cup. So who knows what's going to happen there. But, you know, I look at Winnipeg right now and Cole Perfetti is still very young. Mm -hmm. He's only going to get better and he's already pretty good. You've got Brad Lambert in the system. You've got Rutger McGrory in the system. So they have forwards coming up. It's, I always like to have a first rounder, but if I'm looking at Winnipeg right now, I'm saying, okay, well, the, you know, the future's now for them. So mm -hmm. I don't mind them giving up a first rounder uh, because they've drafted pretty well over the years. Yeah, I was talking to Connor Hellebuck before the trade happened, and I was talking about him about like championship windows and you know how Winnipeg has really kind of propped it back up after mm. it looked like it was closing. And I said, well, you know, wh where are you guys in your kind of development evolution? And he's like, it's, we're winning a Stanley Cup. That, that's where our, our sights are set. So mm. getting a Monaghan, I think you lose Pierre-Luc Dubois, you lose some size um, in that trade for Gabe Velarde. You lost some size in Blake Wheeler as but well. But Velarde's pretty big himself. Yeah. Not I, a bruiser per se. No. I, I, yeah. I, hey, Compared to a Monaghan or a Dubois, I still think those guys are a little bit uh, bigger. And, you know, the thing I like about Monaghan is you know, he's played for Calgary. He's played in that sort of that Western Conference uh, style. Um, at his best, and I think that's the hope, is that Winnipeg gets the Monaghan that, you know, we've seen lately in Montreal and that we used to see in Calgary at his best. So mm -hmm. I think this could be a sneaky good trade. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, Winnipeg did really well here. And again, it's, it's a sort of reward where it's like we want as many weapons as possible because if you're going to head into the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. It's always a war of attrition with injuries. It's good to have a guy like Monaghan who can step up and be a second-line center. He could even fill in as a number one center if you really needed him to. And it has been a busy All-Star weekend. The Los Angeles Kings dismissed longtime head coach Todd McClellan the Kings have been down in the worst way recently, uh, really fallen down the standings. Yep. So was this the right move? Was this a justified move in your mind? It was kind of an inevitable move. Mm -hmm. We were all just kind of waiting for this to happen, whether it was going to be before the All-Star break, after the All-Star break. It turns out it was during the All-Star break. Right. Um, yeah, Cam Talbot is being overworked. Uh, the players are starting to point fingers at each other. Um, so something has to give. Um, I like this move in the sense that, you know, hearing the comments from Cam Talbot, and I had a chance to talk to him, he was saying that, like, you know, the players really kind of control that room, whether it's a Kopitar, whether it's a Dowdy, a lot of veteran voices there. I almost get the feeling they need a guy to kind of kick them in the butt. I don't mm. know if that's Jim Hiller, um, but, you know, certainly by all reports, uh, Tom McClellan is a very player-friendly coach. Maybe they need a kind of a Sutter-type coach. Ah, you go back and forth, because obviously they had Sutter when they were winning Stanley Cups. And Jim Hiller obviously stepping up as the interim. He was the uh, assistant coach beforehand. And when they made the announcement, the Kings pointed out that Hiller will be the interim for the duration of this season. So obviously GM Rob Blake is not going to hurry things here. Right. Um, one name that I'm kind of curious about, and I, I hear what you're saying in terms of you know getting more of a fiery guy, but... I feel like with Los Angeles right now, they're in an interesting place where you still have those veteran holdovers from the cup years, your Kopitars and your Dowdies. Right. But then you have those younger players coming up, uh, like a Quentin Byfield 
and you know a Brant Clark who is still not even a regular really uh, with the Kings. But you have this sort of combination of, of generations. So I don't think it's the sort of team that needs to have a recycled coach necessarily. I think they, they have a bit more freedom there because they were going from a veteran in Todd McClellan. I think they have you know more options there. One name I would like to see is Marco Sturm. Now, Marco Sturm is already in the organization. He coaches the Ontario reign of the AHL. He also coached Germany to a silver medal at the Olympics back in 2018. This was not a Leon Dreisaitl Germany team. This was not a Moritz Seider in his prime Germany team. This was like a very workmanlike, like Marcel Gotch was like a big <laughs> name on that team. And Marco Sturm got them together playing as a team. Uh, there was, and I remember they had a shot against the Russians in that gold medal game. I remember that game. Didn't yeah. work out, but they were there. So I, could, I would like to see Marco Sturm get his shot in L.A. I think that would be pretty interesting. You know what I also would like to see? A trade. Um, ah. I keep hearing about Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, they're not happy with him. Mm. Doesn't seem like he's happy there. Right. You know, this is All-Star Weekend. It might as well be, you know, trade deadline weekend. Sure. The way that the moves are making. So, um, yeah, I wonder if the Kings have a trade kind of up their sleeve to kind of also maybe... Shake things up. Yeah, send a jolt through the lineup. Interesting, interesting. Well, a big jolt that we got uh, the other day... The NHL and the NHLPA, and the IIHF for that matter, announcing that NHLs will indeed play at not only the next Olympics in Italy in 2026, but also 2030, which I believe is going to be in France. So let's talk Olympics because we've been waiting for this for years now. Right. How excited are you that the NHLers are going back to the games? Uh, forget about if I'm excited. The NHL players are excited. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. And also announced was a Four Nations tournament, which mm -hmm. we had already caught wind of. Um, for 2025. For 2025. Uh, World Cup kind of style featuring U.S., Canada, Sweden, Finland, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, I, I think we needed another kind of World Cup. But, you know, more importantly, um, when you talk to, you know, the McDavid's, the Crosby's, the Matthews, they want to go to an Olympics. Yes. Um, McDavid wants to play with Crosby. Uh, Matthews wants to be part of that Team USA. Uh, you got to remember these guys never got a chance to play at the Olympics. Um, the last time they were held was, what, 2014? Are we going back that far? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, th there's going to be a lot of questions as to wh what the roster is going to look like because, you know, in a couple years from now, Sidney Crosby, um, who was the captain of the last Team Canada, He's going to be approaching 36 years old at that time. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think Crosby will be there. I think he's there in the next one. Yeah, I think he's 2026 for sure. 2030, hard to say because I mean, you have to keep in mind, Crosby has been in the NHL since he was a teenager, and he's had some hard miles, and he's had some long cup runs as well. I mean, that's the only downside of being a multi-Stanley Cup champion is that you've had some short summers. And granted, it hasn't been like that recently, but... 2026 for sure and I'm even thinking like you know you start putting together the lines in your head and I'm not sure where Crosby fits in you know in a year and a half which is sort of what we're looking at here uh, or I guess it's two years really because it'll probably be February 2026. Probably mid-season yeah. But is your top line because Canada always has too many centers right. is it a McDavid Bedard McKinnon? Ooh. 
<laughs> do you spread the love a little more where you've got like Marner in there and then obviously you got Crosby as well? Like you have so many centers that can play different roles. Mm-hmm. Is Crosby a shutdown guy? Because he's a bit older, he's not he maybe, very well could be your you know? Patrice Bergeron, right? Right. So do you do like a line where it's like Crosby and you know, he's played with Marchand internationally before with a lot of success. Is there a third guy that you put on that line? Uh, one name that I, that's already out there that I'm kind of intrigued by, I think Adam Fantilli would probably make it, even if he's the 13th forward. I think him and Bedard should probably be on that 2026 team. Yeah, the other question I have is who captains the team? Like, do you still have Sid um, as the de facto captain, or as I think we're seeing now, is it McDavid's team? Yeah, I think Crosby gets an A, but I think it's got to be McDavid as the C. I, I agree. I, I think this is his time to shine. Um, you know, I, I feel sorry for these guys. Like, I remember talking to Mark Scheifele years ago mm. and saying, you know, like, I might never, ever get to play in an Olympics. And it's kind of looking that way now. Because yeah. two years from now, I don't think Mark Scheifele is going to be on this team. Maybe not. Brad or maybe Marchand has never even played in an Olympics, if you can believe it. Wow, that's a good point. He and had the he's World not, Cup. And he probably was not going to be there because two years from now, he's a little older. Like, Crosby, yeah. we're saying, you know, even at the age of 36, mm. where you seeing what he's doing now, he's top 25 in scoring. Yeah. He's going to be there. He's more than a point per game, but... Age 42 when 2030 comes around, what do you think he's going to I be? think he might be management for 2030. <laughs> like he, Maybe he's the Wayne Gretzky Olympic manager you know, that we saw back in the day. Maybe Crosby takes on that role in 2030. That, to me, would be intriguing. Which is just wild when you think of like the management team could be an all-star cast of like maybe Drew Doughty's on that team as well. Maybe. Maybe Jason Spezza. Sure, yeah. So a lot of kind of things to kind of ponder. And I think that's the greatest thing about having the Olympics in the, f- you know, in the, in the future now is mm. we can start kind of putting together where does Canada stack up against the U.S. Yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about is Russia going to be there. I think we all kind of hope that things sort of start simmering down and that, you know, you do have a Team Russia. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, obviously Canada might not even be the favorites when we're talking um, two years from now. I was going to say real quick as we sort of wrap this segment up, Team USA I think has to be the favorite in 2026 because – Canada's going to have some big questions in net. Yes. Is it Aiden Hill? Is it Jordan Binnington? There's not a lot of options for 2026 and not a lot coming down the pipeline. Whereas you look at Team USA, firepower, no problem. Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes on the back end, Jack Eichel up front. Um, the defense is going to be just ridiculous. Yeah. McAvoy. Fox. Fox. Slavin is your shutdown guy. Brock Faber should be there. Oh, yeah. Right? In net, Demko, Ottinger, Hellbuck, like three of the best goalies in the world. It's got to be Team USA's medal to lose, right? I, I think so. The, the only weak spot usually, um, traditionally, has been down the middle. Mm-hmm. But now you just mentioned Matthews, Eichel, um, Hughes. Jack Hughes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a pretty good one, two, three. I don't even yeah. know if Canada has a one, two, three that kind of rivals that. Probably do, but. Yeah, but I mean, it's going to be tight. So anyways, we're going to talk, I'm sure, a lot of Olympics before the games even come. It's a couple of years down the road, but. We're joined in studio by Florida Panthers site editor and reporter David Dwork. David, let's talk about the uh, skills competition uh, on Friday night. I'm saying this is the greatest skills competition I've ever seen. And for the simple reason is, it was a skills competition. It wasn't like, 
you know, a stand-up comedy act. This right, was an right. open uh, mic Tuesday. Evening at the Improv. Yeah, how did, how did you guys find it? Yeah, when I was walking out last night, the one kind of resonating thought was, this was so much better than last year. Like, mm -hmm. last year, like I told you guys before, I think we'd still be sitting there watching it if it was going on. It, it just dragged on forever. Mm -hmm. They did a lot of good things this year. They, I love the old school stuff. Like, when I think of the stills competition, like, when I was a kid, it was, you know, Al McInnes in The Hardest Shot and Ray yeah. Bork in The Accuracy Shooting. And that's like, <clears throat> excuse me, the purity of it is what I think of. And I think they kind of got back to that this year. I liked the, the one time with the targets. I thought that was a cool element of it. So I think they did a really good job. Yeah, and it's sort of interesting, too, because last year in Florida, uh, I thought the segments that worked the best were the pre-taped ones where they could edit it down. Now, the way they presented it, was a fail because they broke it up into sections. But mm. you know, I was at the surfboard one, and you know, the finished product. Weird, you say in the surfboard <laughs> it's one. It's true, yeah. Um, well, the dunk tank, right? <laughs> the surfboard dunk tank, and then there was the golf one. And yeah. and watching that, you know, from the arena, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But with this one, I, I agree, Mike. It, it felt like, you know, this is just, and it's kind of funny because you totally could have gone remote in Toronto. But they went for that pure skill, like, let's keep it on ice, let's keep it as tight as we can yeah. for an all-star yeah. skills competition. And we saw a lot of guys step up. Well, you know, credit Connor McDavid, because he obviously stepped up, but he had a huge role in deciding what the skills events were going to be. And, you know, when I look at, like, Connor McDavid, he's the greatest player in the NHL right now. He might go down as one of the greatest of all time, probably will, in that group of three or whatever. You think skating, you think stick handling, you think, you know, the guy can put the puck wherever he wants. He's just, he, he's got skill just oozing out of him, mm -hmm. and he showcased it in every single event that he was participating in last night. And I don't know how it was going to translate because I've I read on the sheet, it's like obstacle course. They're going to have to go through these kind of pylons and all of that. And I was like, oh man, this could get very lost, especially with the point system. Mm -hmm. But you know, from just a pure spectator standpoint, I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, these are skills that you see in a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was cool about what the way that they played it out was kind of to your point, they kept it all on the ice. They got away from like what really dragged last year was like, they're doing these cool breakaways, they're wearing costumes. We don't totally <laughs> yeah. know what they're doing or they're saying like, oh cool, there's lifeguards or what, there's a guy with the cape. It and especially like when you're watching in the building, if you don't know exactly what they're trying to pull off, it can get a little, tough to, to sit through. Yeah. So I think, you know, whether it was McDavid that had the input and said maybe we need to take a step back and go back to what works from an original standpoint, but it worked. Yeah, and it's funny, we were talking beforehand, it, it didn't rely on their personalities so much because, right. like, let's face it, hockey players tend to be kind of reserved, like, it, it's not like, you know, the NBA slam dunk competition or something like that yeah. where, you know, it plays to the athlete's strength. I think this sort of played to yeah. their strengths. But I will say, and I'll get your opinion on this as a Florida Panthers beat writer, we got a villain last night. <laughs> Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't seem all that stoked to be participating, and uh, he got the booze from the Toronto crowd, which obviously, uh, you know, there's going to be a bit of animosity there anyways. There's some history. There's bit. some history between the Leafs and the Lightning, particularly in the playoffs, but... Um, just your thoughts on, on Kucherov wearing the black oh, hat. Man, you, you know... Thinking about it now, like 12 hours later, I'm a little bit more okay and a little bit more, you know, yeah, you know, I kind of get it. But last night it was like, I'm thinking like, there's guys that are out there, I don't know how hard that they want to win a million bucks, or, but there's guys that were really busting their butts out there. And that, I think, is what you like as fans to see when they're really cutting into their edges and they're stick handling, like watching Austin Matthews at the end go through the obstacle course was really cool. And then you got Kucherov, who's like... 
tipsy. Yeah. I missed it or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, like I get it. It's funny and it's like an interesting element to it. But I was it a little insulting to the guys who were really trying? I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know what? If you're. I, it seemed like he was just too cool for the event. Like, he's right. like, if I'm not going to win it, then I'm just like... I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. So a guy that was trying was obviously McDavid. And let's just keep going back to him because he just he dominated basically the entire competition. Mm. The thing I it was weird is, like, you literally had the most skilled players out there. And you saw, like, how, like, Elias Pedersen was struggling. He falls down. Uh, other guys were, like, like, flubbing the puck and stuff. McDavid just like scooted through that thing like a video game character. Yeah. It, it really did kind of highlight that there is another level between you know the Pedersons and even like the McDavid or sorry the McKinnons or the Kucherovs, mm-hmm. and then a McDavid. Like there is a gap there, and you don't have to be a hockey fan to understand or appreciate just how ridiculous this guy is. Yeah, we, we get those generational guys like every so often. Like you think before McDavid, he's just Crosby and Ovechkin. And then, you know, before that, we had the purity of the 90s with, like, Mario and all those guys. But, I totally. mean, who is at McDavid's level? Like, when you talk about just his skills, whether it's mm. stick handling, shooting, vision, I mean, he's at a completely number level, another level. And you talk about, like, video game, I imagine his skill level has got to be way higher. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see in maybe two, three years if Connor Bedard gets Ooh. to that level of yeah. skill. Because if you think about his release and his hockey mind and just his hands in general, like he doesn't have that breakaway speed of McDavid. I mean, basically nobody, nobody does. Yeah. Yeah. But Bedard, I could see him ruling a lot of those events in the near future. Are you guys surprised that Kale McCarr could shoot at that hard? No. He's no. a defenseman. He's not a big guy, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, the way that players choose their sticks these days, I think they have a lot more intuition into what works the best for them. Yeah. So I wonder if that plays into it, where it's not everybody just using a big, heavy stick. Like, guys know, like, some, they like the really whippy sticks, which obviously wouldn't help with a slap shot, but I, I think they're very in tune with what's best for them. Yeah. True, true. I yeah. always just think the defensemen, they, they're going to have had the heaviest shots on the ice. I don't know about you guys, but from a goalie standpoint, whenever I watch Hardest Shot and it's like they show the puck going, I'm like, yep, that would have hit the goalie right in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> right in the face. Every time. Yeah, yeah. Now, David, I want to ask you, uh, because uh, All-Star Game was in Florida last year, and so we got to check out your market, but... What's it like coming to Toronto from another NHL market for the All-Star Game? What's been your experience so far in the quote-unquote center of the hockey universe? What I love is like, well, first of all, everything's really centrally located, which is cool. You don't really have to rent a car or anything. And just getting all around downtown, all the different areas, wherever I go, there's hockey fans wearing a million different jerseys. I saw a lot of the custom All-Star jerseys, which I thought was really impressive considering the teams were just picked on Friday. Mm. And then Saturday morning, I'm seeing like the jerseys of the players and their, their special colors. So I think it's really cool. I think this is, you know, the hockey mecca. And aside from the temperature, which is quite a bit different than it was last year, right. I think it's been great. I love it up here. Well, you're still lucky. It was warm. It's like been a unseasonably That's what I keep warm. hearing. Like, oh, yeah, you yeah, should have been here two been weeks worse. ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of the Panthers, just before we let you go, uh, we were saying it, it feels like Florida, obviously, uh, you know, they're doing great as they, uh, you know, sort of momentum from last year. Uh, but they've definitely developed a rep. And I know the other day there was something out there about, you know, NHL players saying Nick Cousins was the most punchable <laughs> player in the NHL. Uh, are the Panthers the, 
the anti-heroes of the NHL right now? I, you know, I feel like that's not a question for me because when I see them, I don't see them as any, you don't see that negative. Like even with the Cousins thing that came out, like what my, my co-host of my hockey show in South Florida, Roy Bellamy and I were like looking at each other because we cover this team every day. Like, isn't it Cousins really that dirty? Like we, yes, I, yes. Well, yes, that's it. Everybody yes, like, hey, I, I don't know if it, if it, was it just last year when he really pissed everyone off in the playoffs and he scored the goal against Toronto, or is it like deeper rooted? Like, does I really haven't seen it? And he's such a great guy, and everybody loves him. Like, he's one of those guys that you love to have on your team, right? And you hate to play against, right. but. I can't wait to, because he's been hurt uh, from what happened in Arizona. I can't wait till he comes back just so I can ask him, like, so do you think you have the most punchable face? Like, <laughs> right. how did you react to that? Because it's something funny, and I'm sure they cracked up about it, but it's good to be the anti-hero, right? Like, I think the Panthers would love to be in that situation considering where it's, they've come from. It's definitely, I, I can see it as a as a chemistry thing, and oh, a, yeah. you know, nobody wants us to win kind of thing. Athletes love that. It's a, it's a great identity for a team yeah. that, you know, Forget about the regular season when you're looking at playoff teams. I don't want to play the Panthers. Yeah. I especially don't want to play against uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. And you can yep, see that right? last night. Um, no one wanted to face Bobrovsky in that one-on-one. No, he looked great. Yeah. He's really taken his game to another level over the past about calendar year or so. And watching him in the playoffs last year and seeing, like, okay, this is peak Bobrovsky mm-hmm. and the fact that he's carried it to this year. I mean, the Panthers will go as far as Bob will take him. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again to David uh, for joining us in the studio. we got more hockey news pregame show coming up after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show, and we are joined now by Curtis Martin, a writer for our women's site. And Curtis, big weekend here in Toronto. We've seen uh, a lot of PWHL participation, including on the Thursday, the three-on-three. So let's start there with just you know that showcase and, and what it meant to, to have this new league that's going so well so far show off their stuff. Yeah, well, I think you know talking to the players after the game on Thursday, this meant a lot to them, but I think it means a lot more to the players that weren't able to play in this game. I think talking to Sarah Nurse with the media afterwards, she was talking a lot about how you know it's great that they're able to play in this game, but they're thinking about the other 60 players or however many other players are in this league that weren't able to play in the game yesterday and that they were able to represent them. I think that was the biggest uh, point for them is showing that, you know, the women's game is as entertaining as the men's game and that they have, they should have an equal share of the market as the NHL. Were any of you guys surprised that the women didn't participate in the skills competition this year? I, I know in past years, like I was in the San Jose one when it was Kendall Coyne. Um, right. Um, she like whipped around the ice. And she beat Clayton Keller in the fastest skater. Exactly. And I, I thought for sure we'd see, you know, whether it's accuracy, accuracy shooting or those obstacles. I think that would have been a perfect showcase, again, to show off the skill. I think, I think it was like, I agree with you. I think it was a little disappointing. I think there's... A couple of players, I'm sure we'll talk about her later in the segment, but Alex Carpenter has, I think, one of the best shots in the world, let alone in women's hockey. I think we saw that in the first game of the season against Toronto, and she obviously wasn't playing for the skill showcase yesterday, but I think that you know, just bringing these players, kind of like a Trevor Zegras did with the All-Star last year, where you have yeah. specialty skills for these players that they can mm-hmm. come in, show their skill, and that just only grows the audience for this league more. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, too, because I know the NBA All-Star Game's coming up, and there's going to be a three-point shootout or showdown between Sabrina, Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry. Yeah, and a lot of NBA players and former NBA players are like, 
she might take it, right? So <laughs> yeah. if you're talking accuracy and, you know, I mean, the way they did it this year, um, just timed and everything like that, I mean, it would be cool to see. Would Alex Carpenter beat Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid? Yeah, even the hardest shot. Like, I don't think they're, anyone's going to beat what Kale McCarr did, but mm-hmm. I just want to see, like, how hard they can shoot because I think it opens a lot of people's eyes the same way that, you know, McDavid might have opened up some non-traditional hockey fans' uh, eyes about just how skilled – um, the players are. I yeah. think even for the, you know that to that point, I even think having some of the goalies involved for that shootout that um, would have been good competition. Yeah. I think that's an underrated part of the women's game is how good, good the goaltending has been in the mm-hmm. game. And I even had like when I was talking to Troy a couple of weeks ago, he's saying that you know I feel like the players are catching up to the goaltending. The goaltending has been a staple of the women's game for so long, and to not mm-hmm. see them participate is kind mm-hmm. of something that maybe the NHL should look yeah. forward to. Well, and if you think about, you know, some of the women's players that have sort of gone into the men's game a bit, it's always been the goaltender. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, like Manon Riom or... Uh, Shannon Sabatos Sh- played. Shannon Sabatos, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the, the league this year. And, you know, at All-Star Weekend, a lot of questions were being asked to the players, uh, the men's players, just about, you know, what do they like about the game? And two things obviously stand out uh, for me and for the hockey players is, you know, the point system. Uh, we got three wins for a regulation... Three points for a regulation win. Um, versus what's going on in the NHL. And the other thing is the jailbreak, where, you know, if you get a penalty um, and you score a shorthanded goal, um, player gets out of the penalty box. Uh, can you talk about just about, like, wh- what you've noticed in terms of the women's game and just kind of, you know, what stood out so far? I think it's sort of the jailbreak. It's interesting. I think defensemen have been more... Um, I don't want to say they haven't been trying for the offense on, on the power play, but I think they've been more conservative trying to hold the blue line. I think the last thing that these teams want to see is giving up the shorthand goal, but not just giving up the shorthand and goal. It's also taking the power play away from them by giving up that shorthand and mm-hmm. goal. I know we saw you know, uh, Mantez for Toronto take the puck away on the blue line and lead to the first jailbreak goal in Minnesota in their first game in Minnesota this year. And I think that coaches have really been trying to crack down on like, the defense on the blue line. And I think, you know, in the NHL, we've seen a lot of teams go with uh, four forwards, one defenseman. I think right. if this rule is implemented in the NHL, you would see a lot of coaches go back to your two defensemen, three mm-hmm. forwards to help counteract that. But at the same time, I think, you know, coaches will admit the forwards are going to try and score. I don't think yeah. this is going to stop them from taking advantage of the odd man opportunity they have. But I just think that it adds a little nice wrinkle to the league. Oh, definitely. And Mike, you were saying with the the standings, it's kind of interesting because obviously it's a condensed schedule, but teams are not necessarily out of it if they get off to a bad start because you're getting those three-point wins. Yeah, I know. Luckily for Toronto fans, who as a franchise have gotten off to a rough start, it's not over for them yet. They have a big game later today against Minnesota, but the, with the three-point rule and the 3-2-1 standings and point system, if they, every team's really in it. As long as you can keep competitive games, you can take it to overtime, you can maybe consistently winning games, you can always be involved in being in the top of the standings. Obviously, you want to win games in regulation. You want those three points, but to have this system, it kind of allows uh, things to be a little bit tighter than they might have been in the NHL point system. It was interesting. I was talking to a guy from uh, the league, and he was saying that, you know, the thing that stood out for him is, like, we're not talking about, you know, attendance or, you know, Mm -hmm. is the league going to get off the ground and stuff. He's like, like, a lot of the chatter has been about, like, hey, what does Toronto need to do to get some points here? Or, like, you know, fingers are pointing either, like, at the power play or the penalty kill or the goaltending. And I guess that is refreshing. Like, we're actually talking about hockey, um, not just about 
you know, the greater issue of like, oh, is women's hockey going to survive this time? Mm. And I, I think that's, you know, if we want to talk about Toronto, Victoria Box going to play her first game uh, today for Toronto, make her debut. Mm. She just graduated from Brock. I think it was Teachers College, if I'm not mistaken. And she's coming back, joining the team, and they made a roster move yesterday night. So mm. I think talking to Troy about that, that's going to be a big addition to this team and someone that he was telling to me in the reporters yesterday is looking to step up on the power play and help their power play, who, which has been the worst in the league so far this season. Right on. So uh, just to sort of wrap up, so far in the PWHL, uh, hoping to get like your most pleasant surprise uh, player and then team as well, just based on preseason prognostications. I think going into game one, everyone thought Boston was going to run away this league, but I think the two teams, I think there's two teams for that answer in terms of teams. I think it's um, Minnesota for me, I mean, that shouldn't be a shock. Taylor Heisey is one of the best players in the world right now in the women's game. And then going to the other best player in the game right now, Marie Flippoulin has really carried uh, Montreal. And those are two teams that are, I don't want to say they're pleasant surprises, mm -hmm. but I think I've done better than I expected in a league where I thought Boston was the, had the most depth and was going to run away with things. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, Curtis, thanks so much for this. And uh, for all PWHL coverage, go to our women's team site on thehockeynews.com. Ryan, you know what time it is. It is all-star rapid-fire time. Ooh, all-star yes. rapid-fire time. Producer Connor, hit us up with some rapid-fire questions. All right, well, yesterday, or yesterday, last show, you did your predictions for the all-star skills competition. Mm -hmm. We kept track. Nice. Small addendum. When we did it, we didn't know Jack Hughes was not going to take part. True. So instead, your guesses there are Matthew Barzell. Do you want just the scores or do Give you Give us the scores, yeah. All right, scores. So, it was close. You both sucked. <laughs> uh, I had the winner, I know that. You did have the winner. Yeah. Um, you guys picked Kucherov a couple times, which is a big mistake. Yeah. Going forward, never pick Kucherov. Right. Uh, but on top of the winner, you got the obstacle course right. Yes. You got Mr. Connor McDavid. Yes. Trikos, you got the fastest skater because you went out on a limb and picked McDavid. Connor McDavid. Yeah. Smart man. However, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Jack Hughes well, wasn't there, so there you Jack go. Hughes wasn't there, but you replaced him with Matthew Barzell, who, granted, had a very good skills competition. He did. He gave McDavid a run for his money. He did. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, that does mean, Ryan, you won um, with a grand score of two. Which wow. <laughs> Which is not great. No, that's but not. <laughs> whatever. Still that's better that. than Kucherov. That's right. I did better than Kucherov. I got two that points. Is, yes, that is very true. Yeah, and I tried. You did try. That's the um, most important thing. Let's stick with this all-star theme, though. We never talked about the draft. Right. What did you think about the all-star draft? It was okay. You know, what was funny. Was I was talking to Nathan McKinnon uh, in in the scrum afterwards. And, uh, you know, someone was like, oh, how much prep did you do as captain? And he was like, none. He was like, I didn't even know we were doing it at the rink. He thought it would be at a studio some, somewhere. And we were talking before the show, you know, in San Jose at the All-Star Game, you know, they did a lot of festivities at like a sort of theater concert venue beforehand. Like it was, a concert hall. Yeah, it was more intimate. Uh, I think they probably, I, I don't know if a big arena was the right move. I don't think you need the draft. Um, I don't think it added anything. Um, yeah, I, I would do away with it. Just, yeah. you know, align them along their divisions, maybe. 
Yeah, I don't mind the draft, but I would have liked them to have like more cocktails. Uh, because <laughs> yes. of, as we've seen in the past, that's when they have the most fun. And they did have the celebrities that were there that kind of helped because you know you have people that are obviously you know very used to being you know in front of cameras, public speaking and whatnot. So that kind of helps. But I think if we've learned anything over this All-Star Weekend, it's that personalities are not the NHL's strong suit. Yeah, it's the on them. ice that rules the day. And if you're going to have any fun, they have to be half lit. Yeah, I guess. just get them playing hockey. I don't know. Is that too much? Yeah. No, I think it's fine. Yeah, so that's too much to ask yeah. for hockey players. Uh, you know what? I'm only going to ask one more question. Okay. I have to ask it. It's mandatory at this point. Coach gets fired. Who's the next one who's on the hot seat? Yeah, it's been like a pretty brutal year for head coaches in the NHL. We're kind Player of friendly head coaches. Yeah, that. good point. Yeah, so um, there's not a lot left that are in danger uh, <laughs> because I think you know some of the teams that are underwhelmed is because of injuries. Like yeah. you look at New Jersey, for example. So I think Lindy Ruff is fine. Um, I'm going to go with the easy answer, and it's Sheldon Keefe in Toronto because the Leafs they gotta win multiple rounds this year. They certainly have to make the playoffs, which is not a given right now. So it's got to be that hot seat for me. Yeah, the, the hot seat in Toronto is kind of like the seat in my uh, truck, uh, Ryan. It's, it's always heated. Gotcha. Okay, so nice. it doesn't matter uh, what the record is. Uh, Sheldon <laughs> keeps always on a hot seat. But I'm going to throw out another name, uh, Buffalo's Don Granato. I don't think he should get fired. I agree. I just think that where the Sabres are right now, they're almost running out of options or ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see him being sort of the fall guy, a la you know, Todd McClellan. I think he was doing a, poorly, a poor job as well. So, right. um, you know, I, I feel sorry for them, but, you know, that's... That's the breaks. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, he's a good teacher, so hopefully they keep him on because they need some consistency there. All right, well, um, this is it for the Hockey News pregame show. Thanks again to NorthlandHockey.com and BetMGM. See you next week at the rink.